Welcome to Dear D.O., your resource for honest advice and realness from your journey from life as a pre-med to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, and welcome. I am a current fourth-year medical student applying for neurology residency, and my hope for this podcast is to provide a little bit of mentorship for you while you're embarking on this amazing and incredible, but also tough and sometimes hard or a lot of times hard journey. So before we get started, I just want to give a quick disclaimer that I'm by no means like a pre-med or medical school expert. Sure, I've been through it and everything, but everyone's journey looks different. So please don't compare yourself to me or to any of the people that I'm interviewing. This is purely supposed to be kind of like a you're not alone in this kind of experience. So today we're going to go through the application and admissions to a T. So we're going to go through kind of like exactly what you need on your application and what it means and how you can maybe make it a little bit better for you. So we're going to go through prereqs, letters of rec, MCAT and CASPER, activities, and your personal statement and CV. So let's get started with prereqs. So everyone's favorite thing to talk about is GPA, right? Like, oh, what was your GPA in undergrad? Like, oh, that's not the kind of environment that we're living for these days, okay? So um, GPA isn't everything, but obviously try your best and live your best life when you're an undergrad because the rest of the journey is not any easier. So first, biology. So biology is super important for everything in medicine. goes without saying. So you need biology one and two. Chemistry one and two, also super important, but maybe for a little bit different reasons. It comes into play a lot when we talk through things in pharmacology and metabolism. Physics, a lot of people don't really like physics, I feel like, in undergrad, especially when they're like, oh, why do med students have to take physics and dental students don't? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but physics is important for things like cardiology, pulmonology, neurology, and nephrology. It's basically every physiological system within the body needs physics. It needs physics, it needs chemistry, it needs biology, it needs all of, all of the things, right? One thing that I don't understand why we need, but is pretty universal on prereqs for med school, is calculus. So I can't tell you the last time that I've done an integral or even really anything more than basic math. <laughs> and that sounds terrible, but it's true. The one kind of math that does keep coming up time and time again for medical school is statistics. Statistics is on step one, level one, step two, level two. And honestly, it's really important to know just on the daily for rotations because you need to know when new studies come out, you need to interpret the results yourself. You need to know if this drug that this drug rep is coming to you with is actually going to do the things that they're claiming to do. Also, things like pretest probabilities before ordering tests. Um, sensitivity and specificities of the tests that you order. I'm asked all the time, like, it's a common pimping question, like, oh, what's the sensitivity of a rapid strep antigen test? Um, what's the sensitivity of, you know, 
a chest x-ray for pneumonia, stuff like that. Um, another prereq that you need sometimes is English. Well, I don't want to say sometimes, but all the time, but in different ways. So English or some kind of writing class is required for medical school, but there's a discrepancy between either an AP English class or a college-level English class. So for me personally, I took AP Literature and AP Language in high school and a bunch of other like community college classes in high school that I guess didn't count. Um, so a lot of schools said to me that I didn't have I didn't qualify because I didn't have an English class at my university. But the point is with that is to look up the program that you think that you really want to go to early before you graduate. That way you can see if there's something that you got to get done before you graduate. Like if I really wanted to go to a program that required an English class at my university, then I could have looked that up right before I graduated and maybe did that as like an add-on. So biochemistry is another thing that's not actually required as a prereq, but is super prevalent on the MCAT. Like it's all over the MCAT. So if you're like a super gunner and you want to do really well on the MCAT, maybe take biochemistry, but it's definitely not required. Sociology and psychology are also very prevalent on the MCAT. They have their own section. Psych and sociology are also just really important as a physician to know about because almost everybody has some type of sociological factor or psychological factor affecting their day-to-day. This this part of the MCAT where they have the sociology and the psychology section is also a lot of like where they slip in the studies. So it's important. I'm going to also talk about the fact that when you're an undergrad, you should be taking things that you enjoy. You know, this is the last four years of your life that you're going to be able to choose your own schedule. In med school, everyone's taking the same dang classes, you know, like everyone's doing the same thing. Your schedule is already planned out for you. So take that history class, take that intro to jazz, take that human sexuality class, you know, like whatever you want, whatever your passions are, just take it because you need so many electives to graduate anyway. So you might as well do ones that you enjoy. So now we're going to move on to letters of rec. And these generally come in two flavors. So there's committee letters, and then there are schools that don't do committee letters, and you have to do all of your own individual letters by faculty at your school, faculty at your work, people who know you personally, etc. This is something that you need to look into pretty early on. I would say that I didn't do this, and I wish I did. So I went to an undergrad that didn't have committee letters. I did not know that until it was time to submit my letters of recommendation, and I didn't have a committee letter. So I had to actually go to my professors and ask them for letters. That was really difficult for me because the professors at my school were not willing to give out letters to people who didn't get A pluses in the class. There was probably like 300 people per class. So I get it. Like they probably wrote a lot of letters, but it still kind of was uncomfortable for me because I had no letters. With that in mind, for people who were like, oh, I graduated 
from undergrad five years ago. I'm not in touch with those professors. I don't know their names or their emails or anything. There are schools that don't require professor letters. And those schools will ask more for like clinical letters or your manager, your boss, something like that. Somebody who knows you on a professional level, who can vouch for you that you're a good human. So, and that's all the letters of rec really are for medical school. They're not as like specific as they are for residency. Like in residency, it's more like this person would make a great OBGYN or this person would make a great neurologist. Whereas for medical school, it's like, this is a good person and they work really hard and they deserve this. You know what I'm saying? And here's an example of how they led a group and how they led a presentation or they made this change at work. So for letters, I would just focus on, you know, making connections early. Don't don't put too much pressure on yourself to get to know every one of your professors because that's impossible. Okay. They have so many students and you have so many classes. So Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Make it as natural as you can. Try to do well. Okay, moving on to MCAT and Casper. So starting with the MCAT, the MCAT is literally the bane of every medical student's existence. Like if you scroll pre-med TikTok, it's just, when am I taking the MCAT? What's on the MCAT? How I studied? Okay, and that's great. I love that there's so many resources out there for you because... I felt like I was completely lost. So that's great. Social media is great in that in that way. Social media can also just be super toxic for the MCAT. Looking at everyone else studying when you can't study because you're at work or looking at everyone else taking the MCAT when you feel like you need like a year left to study or something like that. Like everybody is on their own path. So if you give yourself, you know, two months to study for the MCAT, take your two months, live in the moment, and don't compare yourself to anyone else because it's not going to do you anything. Of course, like ask other people, like if they seem like they're doing really well, ask them what they're doing. But at the same time, there can be an abundance of resources. And if you're not using your resources strategically, it can be super overwhelming. You can feel like you have, you know, things coming at you from like every angle if you're trying to use every resource that's out there. So picking your like three or four resources that you are going to stick to, getting yourself a schedule, taking practice exams early on, doing practice questions, getting flashcards, all of those things are going to be really helpful for you. So what is the MCAT? I just spoke so much about the MCAT, but what is it? So it's a seven and a half hour test. It has four parts, biology, chemical and physical, CARS, which is the reading section, in psychology, sociology, and behavioral as one section, which has a lot of studies in it. So 501 is the technical average. So that's the peak of the bell curve. People above it are above the 50th percentile. People below 501 are in the below 50th percentile. So 505 is the average for admission for MD school. And 502 is average for admission to DO school. So those aren't like super different numbers. So if you get like a 502, That's not that below average for MD schools. So when studying for the MCAT, I would try out different study strategies kind of early on, right? Like test out the waters. There's so much information on this dang test that it can be super overwhelming, right? Like how do I study for for biology and chemistry and I have to know how to like read? (laughs) And the reading section is actually probably the hardest section, not going to lie. So 
Some people thrive on courses and that's great. I love that for you. That was not me. That was not my journey. So, you know, if you know that you need a rigid study schedule and you are very weak at content, like actual study content, get a course. That's fine. You know, but what's actually going to help, I think, more in my personal opinion is doing the practice questions, doing flashcards, because at the end of the day, active learning by like actively doing the questions, actively doing the flashcards is so much more valuable for your time than passive learning, which is reading and watching videos. If I could go back, I would probably do Anki. I didn't even know what Anki was when I was studying for the MCAT, but whenever I would talk to my friends in med school, a couple of them did so well on the MCAT. And I asked them, okay, what did you do? And they were like, I did Anki. And I was like, I didn't even know that Anki was a thing. So for those of you who don't know what Anki is, it's spelled A-N-K-I. It's a online software app that you download to your computer and it's like flashcards and it has a built-in algorithm to optimize your learning. So it's like either fill in the blank flashcards or front and back flashcards. And you can download all kinds of pre-made decks of cards. So you don't even have to make your own cards. You can just go on Reddit, go on Discord, search MCAT Anki deck and download it. I will like give a disclaimer that it can look super daunting because I bet that there's probably 5,000 cards in that deck, but you can change in your preferences how many cards you want to see every day. So if you only want to see 50 new cards, you would see your 50 new cards and then any cards that you have due for that day. So if you did 50 cards today, you're going to see those same 50 cards probably tomorrow as well as 50 new cards. So it's 100 cards total, right? The following day, you might have only 100 cards again because those 50 cards that you did on the first day are actually going to move further away as long as you got it right. So it's kind of like a spaced repetition model. Well, that's what it is, actually. It's just a spaced repetition model that has been proven to help people retain information, which is what you need. You need a lot of information in your brain to do good on the MCAT. But remember, as I say always, scores are not everything. Do not put pressure on yourself and take it personally when you don't do well, okay? Not that you're not going to do well because everyone listening to this is going to do amazing. But if you don't do as well as you wanted, it's not a personal thing. Okay, so the Casper. So my thing is that I actually never took the Casper. Um, it was not a thing when I was applying to medical school. But honestly, I think it's kind of cool. Like, I think that I would have liked to have taken a Casper. I would have liked to think that I did, that I would have done probably better on the Casper than I did on the MCAT. So the Casper is a test to assess applicants' judgment, professionalism, empathy, collaboration, and ethics. It's 80 minutes long. More than 60 schools use it. So that includes both MD and DO schools use it at this point. It's kind of like a pre-interview interview, if you will. Like, is this person a good team player? Is this person ethical? So I think it's good. Test how you respond in specific situations. I think it's cool. Okay. So now we're going to move on to activities. It's super duper important. Like I cannot stress it enough how much hobbies and activities will keep coming up for you. So something to talk about other than school. Like 
if you love dancing, if you love singing, if you love playing instruments, even video games, you would be so shocked at how many people just talked about video games <laughs> during their interviews and actually got into medical school probably based on that conversation. So things that people have in common, you know, like running, yoga, hiking, crafts, boxing, things like that, where it shows that you're well-rounded. It shows that you have things outside of medicine that you can kind of enjoy. So school-affiliated activities are also great. I think that it's important to be like involved in your university. I definitely was not super involved in my university. And I'm also not super involved in my medical school. I'm kind of like on the back end. I do a lot of tutoring. I do a lot of mentoring. I do a lot of stuff like that. But I'm not like, I'm not the club president of anything. You see what I'm saying? So it mostly goes back to the ability to show that you supported your university. If you showed that like you showed up for that university, it shows that maybe you'll do the same thing when you come to medical school, hopefully, because we still have clubs. Like we have all kinds of clubs. People need to be presidents of those clubs. People need to be leaders and be personable and be able to, you know, delegate things. So it's important. But as always, don't don't go overboard. Don't spread yourself too thin. Know your boundaries, know your limits, you know, don't sign up for 100 clubs. You know, like that sounds exhausting on top of all of the work that you have to do for undergrad. Okay, so we're going to move on to the personal statement and CV. For the personal statement... This is where a lot of students kind of, not like freak out, but also like I kind of freaked out, right? (laughs) The personal statement is supposed to be personal, supposed to tell the reader why you want to be a physician, why they should let you into medical school, which seems like it would be an easy answer, you know? Like you've worked your entire life up to this point to come to medical school and you're finally submitting your application. But no, you still have to write it on a piece of paper and submit it to an application committee for review. So what do you write? Well, you have to write something personal. You maybe include a story on something that happened that made you want to go into medicine. Maybe your parents are in medicine and that's why you want to follow their footsteps. Maybe no one in your family is a doctor and you want to be the first. Whatever it is, include it on your personal statement. I would just think about it for a long time. I would talk to other people about it. I would be like, I would call your parents or call your friends and be like, hey, do you mind if we just have like a quick conversation about my medical school journey real quick? I'm sure that those people in your life would be like, heck yeah, let's do it. The thing is for a lot of people, right? Like a lot of us have had really traumatic experiences and obviously that trauma has made us who we are today. And it's made us want to be physicians and it's made us want to be great physicians. But unloading all of that trauma on a personal statement might not be the best thing. You can talk about these traumas without naming them directly. You can talk about them without detail. If it comes up in the interview later, like then you can expound upon it like in a more vulnerable face-to-face kind of way. But if that's your story, then say it. I love that. You know, I don't love your trauma, but I love that you're here and you're saying your story. If you're proud of your personal statement, then I would submit it. If your personal statement represents you well, and you feel like it's telling your story that you want to tell, then tell that story. So (laughs) I think, okay, so back to like a lighthearted kind of thing, right? 
Like, I think it's so easy for somebody to say in advice for personal statements, like, oh, just be yourself. They'll love you. Like, that's so toxic. (laughs) Because honestly, like, it's so hard to just be yourself when you're submitting a personal statement. I remember wanting so bad to go to medical school. I felt like on my personal statement, I had to be like perfect or I had to be worthy of of coming to medical school. Like my my trauma had to be big enough. My journey had to be worth it. And that was hard. Like, how am I supposed to, you know, wrap up my entire life and like be myself at the same time while like begging someone to bring me to their medical school? Like, like, oh, I'm worth it. I promise. Like, it's so vulnerable and no one talks about it, right? Like, just be yourself. No, it's vulnerable. It's hard because you're trying to be everything at the same time. Okay, so back to personal statements after that rant. As far as like editing goes, <laughs> like have your family members read it if you feel comfortable. Have a friend read it if you're comfortable. I would also maybe have like a professional read it, like somebody at your school, somebody that you trust enough to read it and get good feedback and also be willing to completely scrap the whole thing. I cannot tell you how many times I started and restarted and restarted my personal statements, even for residency. I think I went between three different ideas and I had three different ideas going at the same time. I finally had to pick one, but I trashed the other two. So don't be ashamed of trashing them. For your CV, this was the first time that I had to like write a CV, didn't know what a curriculum vitae was. It's basically your resume. You need to have everything on it from your clubs to your research to your hobbies to what you're certified in. If you have any special certifications, the CV, you can look up um, examples on the internet. That's what I did. And I kind of framed it on that. Lots of people tell you that it needs to not be over one page. I think that that's kind of stingy. Um, If you've had a lot of accomplishments and you're proud of them, put them on your CV. I would not make it too busy. I would not choose a crazy font. Don't put Comic Sans font. (laughs) So like stick to Arial or Times New Roman. Make your your editing look professional. So that's what I'll say about curriculum vitae's. So after that entire monologue that I just went through about applications, I just want to say like that we are all on our own journey. So comparing yourself to other people that you see on TikTok or Instagram and they're getting into all these schools and they're getting all these interviews and you feel like, you know, that's not what's happening to you or maybe you feel somehow inferior I just want to say that you're not inferior, okay? Your time will come, and I mean, I think that that shouldn't come across as toxic positivity. Let me know if it does, but everyone's in their own lane, right? And someone else's lane might be going faster than you. Someone else's lane might be going slower than you. But we are all on the same road going towards the same place. I don't know if that metaphor made sense, but it made sense to me. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me on this conversation about applications. I hope that it was helpful. I hope that it was somehow objective and subjective (laughs) because that's what I want out of this podcast. I want it to be a little bit of 
info and a little bit of realness. Well, a lot of realness, actually. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DearDOPod. You can check out the official website, DearDOPod.com, for blog posts, guides, and you can actually submit any of your questions about all things medical school. Support the continuation of this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly, and hope to see you next time.